idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony, and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences, and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, Episode 2, recorded on May 29th, 2019. For this show, we're reviewing Fedora 30 and Linux Lite 4.4. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, Suzy, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gen 2-based distros. You can reach us at the Mintcast, Telegram, or Discord, or our email address, which we will tell you later in the show. On to this month's first distro, Fedora 30. Okay, as Moss said, my installation for this episode was Fedora 30. All the main testing was done on a Dell 6220. It's an i5 machine um, with 8 gig of RAM and a 128 gig SSD. Installation-wise, it went fairly straightforward. It's fairly straightforward if you're installing to the whole HDD or SDD. However, if you wish to install a side of uh, alongside another OS, then things get a little bit more complex. Unlike uh, Ubuntu or Mint, you do not get an automatic option to install alongside the current OS. And if you've not pre uh, pre-partitioned the disk, this makes it even more complex. I suggest if you plan to dual boot, then you look at Fedora install video in a, a couple of times before you do it. Once started, the install on this machine was about 15 minutes. Although on first boot, the updates took about the same again. One thing to note is the auto partitioner will create boot, swap, system files and home partitions. And on my SSD, which, like I said, was a 128, I was only left with 65 gig for all my uh, personal files, which on a test machine like this isn't big of an issue, but um, it's something worth considering if you've only got a small SSD, uh, small hard drive or SSD, uh, how much space system files take up in that partition. So on post-installation, I didn't have any is issues with the hardware. Surprisingly, everything worked out the box. The only thing I needed to do was go into the configuration and change the mouse trackpad settings so that the uh, double-click on uh, the trackpad worked. But everything else worked out of the box. Audio was working, everything. So no problems there. So coming to ease of use, Fedora uses the DNF uh, or Dandified YUM package system. And many of the commands uh, are same or similar to the apt equivalent in Debian. 
So uh, the transition to an RPM package-based system uh, is not as hard as you may think at first. You can also use flat packs and snaps after installing the SnapD package. Although for some reason I was unable to get the flat pack to work and despite several attempts at following the instructions on the Fedora magazine site, this wouldn't work. I did manage to install SnapD and use snaps to install several applications I use without much of an issue. Application issues. The DNF install of Mumble in Fedora 30 was broken, but luckily the Snap version worked without a problem. This issue was fixed just before the show after an update. There is no software censoring this Cinnamon install, and although all the software I installed during the test period was done through the terminal, this is not very new user-friendly. I later found out that you can install the GNOME software center, but it seems strange for the spin team not to include this by default or have a software center specifically for the Cinnamon spin. Memory use. I tested uh, memory use on uh, all three desktop environments, GNOME, Cinnamon, and uh, Mate. GNOME, the um, memory use on first boot was 1.5 gig. Cinnamon, it was 1.1 gig. And on the Mate, it was about 800 megabytes. So, you know, it's about what I would expect with GNOME being the the top and Mate being the the most uh, humble on resources. So ease of finding help. Uh, there's a great Fedora, uh, Fedora community out there, and the Fedora magazine has loads of information about the project. I'm sure that with more time and commitment to running Fedora full-time, I would find a lot of help to get things working if I needed it. Plays nice with others. This was an issue for installing as a dual boot, but once I worked out that I would need to create partition to install alongside an existing OS, and while the custom install process wasn't familiar to me, it was no more difficult than it is in Ubuntu or Mint. Now down to stability. Fedora is a rock-solid distro, and I had no issues with stability during use, so no complaints uh, there. My main issue with Fedora is that there's no long-term support uh, version of Fedora, and you will only have about 13 months between install and having to update to an either the next most recent release or as updates stop a month after um, your release number plus two. So on the release of Fedora 30, Fedora 28 became end of life after a mo- about a month later. If you want a long-term support-based system, you would need to buy a Red Hat uh, support package if you wanted to stay with the, within the Fedora uh, family. This would not be an ideal solution for someone moving from Windows to Linux and wanting a longer period between major updates. And having found that the -the over-the-air updates from Fedora 29 to Fedora 30 broke my install, this is definitely something to consider if you're able to install and use as a day-to-day driver for as long as possible before having to go through any major upgrade process. However, in my case, as I normally do a complete fresh install of a new version, of a distro, and I know many other experienced Linux users are prone to do the same. This may not be a major issue for those most likely to be looking at installing Fedora. However, it would be nice to have this option of either a long-term support for those wanting an element of stability and a rolling release version of Fedora for those wishing to be always on the cutting edge without the need to constantly do a fresh install. 
So the ratings, um, ease of installation. For new users, I've given it 4 out of 10. It's uh, it's not brilliant, but it's not impossible to work out how to do it. Experience for Linux users, 8 out of 10. Hardware issues, I've given it a 9 out of 10. I'm going to go with Mossy's uh, philosophy that nothing's perfect. <laughs> uh, and there may be things that I find at a later date. Ease of finding help. So far, I would say t- uh, 7 out of 10. Again, if I was using it more long term, that might go up. Ease of use. I've given it 9 out of 10. It's fairly it's fairly comfortable to use. And like I say, the package manager, uh, apart from having a different command DNF rather than apt, is fairly easy to use. Plays nice with others. Again, I've given this 7 out of 10, partly due to the install problems. Stability. I've given it 7 out of 10, and this is not for day-to-day use. This was more to do with the update process from Fedora 29 to 30. 30. If you do the over-the-air update, then this could create a problem depending on uh, how you do it and what your uh, stability of your uh, internet connection is. So what do I think of Fedora generally? I think it's a well-designed and put-together Linux. Despite some issues with the install, after you get past this, Fedora is a great distribution, and I will probably see myself using it if for any reason Linux Mint was not available and there was no option on something that was as fully featured with a longer-term stable release. If you're looking for similar distri- distributions to check out, uh, CentOS is part of the Fedora family and is free to use. Open Mandriva and ClearOS is another RPM distribution, but this is aimed mainly at server users. So if you're looking for a RPM-based server distribution, you could look at ClearOS. I would like to point out that Open Mandriva will be coming out with LX4 as a final stable release on June 6th, so probably about the time you're listening to this. Ah, right, yeah. Okay, so that's my uh, small review of uh, Fedora 30. So uh, let's speed on over to our other distro review this month. Moss, tell us about Linux Lite 4.4. Okay, as you've probably gathered by now, we are Linux Mint aficionados. Uh, we, our other broadcast, if you weren't aware of it, our other podcast is Mintcast. Um, we talk about everything on there. It is not strictly Mint only. And in fact, we have trouble finding things to talk about about Mint sometimes. <laughs> uh so we're, we try and keep an open mind on these things, but uh, you're going to hear Linux Mint mentioned a lot on this show. Linux Lite 4.4. Uh, my hardware, I install my test distros on a partition of my 500 gigabyte hard drive on a Lenovo ThinkPad T430, running an i5-3320M processor at 2.6 gigahertz and with 8 gigs of RAM. Installation. For me, an installation includes the full installation and all updates. If I can manage it, I then replace LibreOffice, if it's provided, with SoftMaker Office, because I love SoftMaker Office. I install my preferred VPN, which is Molvad, and I set up Grub Customizer, if it's available, or other Grub management, and then install my printer, which is not always a straightforward thing. I just upgraded my printer to a... 
uh, brother MFC J491DW, and uh, it was a simple installation all the way around. I'd also like to point out that I do not get paid for mentioning SoftMaker or Mulvad. Uh, if they want to pay me, I, I'm willing to talk about it, but right now, no. <laughs> uh, I just like these things. I use Mulvad strictly because I can pay on a monthly basis, and of the ones that have monthly charges, they are the cheapest, other than the free service out of Proton that I have looked into, and I just have too many devices. All right, let's get back here. Leave, uh, Linux Lite, my installation started at 1521. I noticed first off it was using the Ubiquity installer, which users of Ubuntu are very familiar with. Uh, it's not my favorite installer, but it, it's good enough to get through. Most new users can figure out how to go through Ubiquity. It found and used my primary display without prompting. Uh, I usually turn off my laptop screen and use my 32-inch television, and it found that instantly without me having to set it. Uh, I completed the installation at 15.32, so that's a whole 11 minutes. I did the reboot and the updates, and then I had to set my display. Uh, it took me through the steps clearly and simply. The display showed me exactly what I was doing during the updates. Uh, not just a bunch of ads about this is what the distro can do. The updates included the latest versions of Firefox and LibreOffice. It's running kernel 4.15.0. The icons are flat, colorful, and unique, reminiscent of the Deepin desktop. Flash is installed during the updates. That may be a plus or a minus for some of you. Uh, the updates completed at 15.49. The reboot completed at 15.49.30. And the boot completed at 1551.10. So in other words, it took me a minute and 40 seconds to reboot, which is a pretty quick boot. I was prompted to install updates again. It couldn't connect to the, to the repos. This is at 1553.45. I kept trying to install the drivers, set the restore point, or install language support, and kept being taken back to install updates and being told it could not connect to the Linux Lite OS repositories. Not being able to set a restore point is a serious issue. I had no problem connecting with Firefox. GW is the package manager. It ran normally and installed my extra apps, SoftMaker, uh, Mulvad, etc. The printer installed with no test print. It was still choking on finding Linux Lite OS repo. And all that was at 1622. At 16.26, I removed LibreOffice and did the auto-remove, and we have a system. The show notes, I've got a picture of my screenshot uh, that may actually be moved to the website later. Some people complain that the uh, images don't load well in the show notes. Post-installation hardware issues. I had a few issues. First, it could not connect to the Linux Lite repos, although it had no problem connecting to the Ubuntu repos. And without that, I couldn't complete the updates, get device drivers, or set a restore point. In fact, during my first three weeks of using Linux Lite, the repos were offline on three separate occasions, confirmed by the developer in the forum. When the repos were online, everything went smoothly. This should not continue to be a problem, but I can't comment on whether it will, because it happened to me three times in, in three weeks, twice in the first week. 
Okay, I did get the printer installed using the Brother installation tool, did not get a test print, so there could be a printer issue. I went to the forums and talked about that. I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. I had no difficulty installing SoftMaker Office, Molvad VPN, Stacer, etc. No difficulty removing LibreOffice. On the 22nd of April, I got the Linux Lite OS repos to load, got the set point in, did my time shift save. I installed Kodi, discovered they have an older edition, 17.3, and then that would not close. I had to reboot. I attempted to follow the Ubuntu instructions for installing the current version, 18.1, using Terminal, and it failed. I attempted to fix what failed and was not successful. So I shut it down. I came back to it. On the 23rd, Linux Lite identified my broken file but could not repair or replace the file or delete Kodi. Very nice for me that the software manager turns out to be just another name for Synaptic. And Snap is already an editor's choice for installation. When I restarted Synaptic, it both removed Kodi and installed Snapd. The version of Kodi in Synaptic is 18.1, but I tried two more times to install it and came up with broken packages. I got the Snap Store installed, thanks Tony, or I wouldn't have known this, rebooted, and there was no Kodi in the Ubuntu Snap Store. I did get Midori installed and look for a few other things. I got the three KDE games I like to play installed, but could not find Pysol FC or anything but a command line version of NetHack. I went back to Synaptic and found NetHack X11 and Pysol FC there, so I have a full complement of my games. I again tried to install Kodi via terminal and it attempted to install 18.1, but still returned an error code. And then I found out that the KDE games, except for Minesweeper, would not run. Uh, K-Mahjong loaded the window, but no game. The K-Netwalk would not even load. I went and talked to them about that later. XNet hack worked fine, except I keep dying, but then that's what I do in NetHack. Uh, <laughs> on the 24th, I found that all the files were working for Kodi after an update. So I then moved my... Uh, Kodi configure folder from Linux Mint and went to bed. On the 25th, I discovered that moving my Kodi folder had overwritten the binary Kodi files, so I had to reinstall. This time, installation went smoothly. Now I need to see whether I have my config stuff, and I need to activate Track TV and Reel to Brid. Should be a piece of cake, but no cake. I got Reel to Brid, no problem, followed instructions for Track TV and got installation failed, no idea what to do next. Ah, well, no TV on the 25th for Moss. Next, I'm going to follow a proposed solution for the printer issue. Okay, that didn't work. I need to reboot Bodhi to find out what steps I should be taking. They should be the same steps. Come back to it on the 26th. Solve the printer issue in Bodhi. I had to run sudo apt install bodhi-printing. I went back to the Linux Lite forum and saw there was no further help and posted the bodhi fix to see if perhaps there was a sudo apt install Linux Lite-printing type command I should do. And I'm waiting again. I still have to fix the track TV issue, but I think something in the latest Linux Lite updates may have done something to fix that. So, at this point, I did not have the printer completely installed or one tiny piece of Kodi, I thought I'd check the memory and installation size. Remember, this includes SoftMaker Office instead of LibreOffice, and I don't know the difference in size between the two packages. My memory use was 714.2 megabytes. 
My hard disk was 9.9 gigabytes. That's a pretty light installation. On the 27th, I came back to it. I checked the forums for answers to my questions. The maintainer, Jerry, informed me that, one, they don't support KDE, and two, I should contact the Cody forum for help with the Cody issue. That put me off a bit. On the 28th, Jerry had suggested I let him in a remote window to look at the printer issue. I declined, as I don't like people remoting to my computer. He replied, If you don't trust me, why do you trust Linux Lite? I could have put anything in it good point. Maybe I should end the review here. But rather than that, I just stewed on it for a few days. I kept booting to and updating Linux Lite from time to time. Let's skip on to May 3rd. Forgetting that I'd already done this, I copied the home Kodi directory from Linux Mint. Maybe it'll work this time. On the 4th, I successfully completed the Kodi install. Watch CBC The National. Everything is set up now except mumble. No rush on that. I've got everything I do in Linux Mint on Linux Lite, and it's working. It took me a few days, but I got there. On May 15th, I got a new Brother printer. As I mentioned, it's an MFCJ491DW. On the 16th, I got brave enough to install it, and it worked right the first time. So, probably my problem with the earlier installation, as Jerry suggested, might have been fixed by just running the installation again. Also, when I started using Linux Lite 4.4, the startup music, which is striking, coincided with the splash screen. A month later, it usually precedes the splash screen by a few seconds, and there is a blank gray screen between splash and desktop for a few seconds. On a few occasions, the music and the gray screen coincide, but it used to be the splash screen. And the file manager does not allow me to show hidden files. Uh, Leo over at Mintcast says there may be a keystroke command to fix this. I haven't tried it. So that was my trials and tribulations installing Linux Lite 4.4. But I do admit this is a good-looking system, and it's working, doing everything I need it to be to do, except KDE at this point. Ease of use. Well, it took me a little longer than it should have. Unlike most Debian Ubuntu-based distros, running Synaptic does not prompt you to enter your password, and so it does not run as root. I literally had to open the terminal and type sudo synaptic to be able to save my changes and apply changes. And I got an interesting error message, which I have in the show notes, something about the GTK tree view bind draw uh, has failed. There's a disparity between the internal view of GTK tree view and GTK tree model. And that, that's confusing, but whatever. Uh, I installed the entire KDE suite. I went into Synaptic and said, okay, give me all of KDE. This works great in Windows and other Linux distros. If you want everything that's KDE with all the goodies, you can even get the desktop installed this way. Uh, I have not gotten the desktop on Windows before, but I've gotten everything else running. I had no better luck with most of the apps than I had with the KDE games earlier. I wound up having to use sudo synaptic to remove them all, followed by sudo apt auto remove. Stacer reported that I had 12.2 gigabytes of disk space used after doing this. On the 22nd of May, it reported 10.4 gigabytes of hard drive in use. All this aside, Linux Lite has run extremely well and gives no other issues of which I am aware. Memory use. I've got... 585 megabytes being used. That's 7.62% of RAM. Probably won't need a swap file anytime soon. My disk usage 
is 11 out of the 116 gigabytes. Ease of finding help. The forums were easy to find and easy to use. Most of the issues were answered by the developer, Jerry, and my questions were not always meant in as friendly a manner as I've come to expect. With my autism, this could partly be the way I respond to things. I tend to set people off sometimes. Plays nice with others. Grub customizer is not available in the repo, but adding the PPA is simple. I've had no issues with grub stealing behavior, as I did with one Ubuntu variant some months ago. Stability. It's solid. I look forward to future additions. It'd be nice if the repos were there all the time. Similar distros to check out. I couldn't help thinking that the desktop looked a lot like Deepin, so that would be a good choice. Ratings. Ease of installation. I actually found it easier for a new user than for an experienced user because the experienced user wants to make it exactly the way they want it, whereas a new user would just install what's there and run that. And so I say 8 out of 10 for a new user, 6 out of 10 for an experienced user. Hardware issues, 8 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community and web, 8 out of 10. Ease of use, 9 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 9 out of 10. Stability, 9 out of 10. Final thoughts. I think that anyone who likes the way this distro looks will be quite happy with it. There will be a few issues from time to time, like the repositories going offline. I hope they fix those issues soon. But it runs well and should meet the needs of both new and experienced users. I prefer, however, to recommend distros with larger communities. In our feedback section... Robert Rowe posted, very enjoyable and informative. Thank you, gentlemen. Do you want me to take the next one, Moss? Sure, take the next one. Uh, it's quite a long one, this. Carl Barbary. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hey, guys. Great first episode. I have a question about adding another distro to my laptop. I'm currently using Linux Mint 19.1 Mate and would like to try out Fedora. What is the best way to do this? Should I wipe the drive and start from scratch, or can I just install without affecting my current installation? I don't believe there's any partition structure since I wasn't planning on dual booting. Looking forward to hearing from and listening to the next show. So I replied, Hi Carl, thanks for the feedback. Yes, you can dual boot a number of distributions on a single hard disk. However, if you plan to install Fedora, uh, as the second OS, I would suggest creating a second partition on your current disk by reside, resizing the disk into two partitions using Gparted while in a live Linux Mint environment. Shrink the first partition, leaving yourself space for future updates and new applications. Then with the new un, unused space, format it to ext4 partition that Fedora will see. If you have a large Binning drive, say 500 gig, you can allocate 400 gig to Mint and the rest to Fedora if you're just creating space to try new uh, new Linux spins. The reason I say do this before trying to install Fedora is that the installer is not quite as user-friendly as the Mint one if you were doing the, it the other way around. You may want to do a bit of research on the net and watch a YouTube video or two before you, on dual booting and how to install Fedora 2930. Uh, as even I had issues with it, and I've installed Debian and Ubuntu and its variants of Linux, such as Mint, many times over the last 12 years. One big warning, before repartitioning your drive, back up any data you can, not afford to lose, as it can go wrong, as I found out recently and ended up wiping an 
an SSD and having to start from scratch. Luckily for me, this was a test machine and nothing invested more than a little time. All the data on it was backed up elsewhere. For information, anytime you want to do a Windows Linux dual boot, you need to install the Windows side first as it won't see any other OS and will wipe the drive completely. Linux, however, particularly Ubuntu and Mint, are, dual, uh, are very dual boot friendly and will see any other OS and ask if you wish to wipe the entire disk or install it alongside the existing OS. If you want to move multi-boot, it gets more complex, as my co-host Moss will tell you from experience. If you have the resources, i.e. multi-core CPU and 8 gig of RAM, uh, and a decent amount of disk, spare disk space, you may wish to consider doing a virtual box install, which you can then run from within Mint. The advantage of this is that you can play with different Linux spins without the risk of installing to hardware and risking your precious data and only go for a bare metal install when you feel confident about the OS and the install process. If you can create a large enough virtual drive, you can even practice installing a dual boot virtually before doing it for real. Again, YouTube is full of informative videos on how to do this. I responded, as I think I've stated, I have four different distros, each on their own section of my 500 gig hard drive. So yes, you can run more than one distro. A Linux distro takes up very little space on a modern hard drive, so you should have plenty of room. However, you may have to play with your grub to get to choose which distro to boot to, and I don't know Fedora's way of doing that. Most Debian-based distros can use Grub Customizer, which lets you put it in whatever order you want, but I don't know that there's an RPM version of Grub Customizer. Announcements. Our next show is scheduled to be recorded on June 19th, 2019. Visit our website at DistroHoppers Digest and follow us on MeWe, also at the Mintcast Discord and Telegram groups, and we can be contacted at DistroHoppersDigest at gmail.com. We love our listeners. If you have any feedback on our program, please contact us. And thanks for all the feedback that we've had so far. It's great to hear from you. Absolutely. We would like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with Hacker Public Radio for allowing us to use their Mumble server. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Josh, all about code for designing and donating our show logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linux Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libra software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening and for your responses. Mm-hmm.